from day to day with it shall roll me in the cross in the cross be my glory ever till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river near the cross I watch and wait hoping trust being here till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river in the cross in the cross be my glory till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river you remember the chorus that we sing we have come into this house and gathered in his name to what we've come into this house and gathered in his name to worship Christ the Lord let's sing together we have come into his house gathering in his name to worship him we have come into his house gathered in his name to worship him we have come into his house and gathered in his name to worship Christ my Lord worship him Christ let's forget about ourselves and magnify his name let's forget about ourselves and magnify his name and worship him let's forget about ourselves magnify his name and worship him let's forget about ourselves and magnify his name and worship Christ worship him Christ the Lord good morning again it's a real joy to be in the house of the Lord today, and we appreciate so much you coming out and being with us. Now, you don't have to wait until the third Sunday in May to come to church. Right. Now, if you do, that's good. We're going to have a great time, and Brother Roger was talking to me early this morning about some of the things that have been planned thus far, and kind of getting me excited when you get the preacher excited you got some folks excited and so we're looking forward to that third Sunday now uh, we should have maybe over a hundred people a uh, lot of visitors and when he told me that I said I have a request to make he said what's that he said could we take two offerings he said no we plan on taking three offerings if that many people show up 
Uh, but you don't have to wait till the third Sunday to do that. If you miss the Sunday services this next week, the second Sunday, which is Mother's Day, you're going to miss a blessing. Uh, we are delighted to have a man by the name of Fred Evans from Louisville, Kentucky, who's going to be speaking in this pulpit. Now, he came to be with us several months ago and did a tremendous job, and yet there were many who were not even here for it and said, we wish we could have been here. Well, I'm announcing it ahead of time. Next Sunday morning, Brother Fred Evans is going to be our guest speaker, and we're looking forward to having him here. Uh, his mother, Christine Evans, is a member of our church, and she's looking forward to seeing her boy. She sure is. But if you've never heard him, he is a Bible teacher. He is a Bible preacher. You would be in yourself a disservice by not being here next Sunday. So that's more important than Mama's Day. It really is. Who's going to be preaching next Sunday? Brother Fred Evans, and I hope you'll be here for that and also for the, th the third Sunday that we are anticipating a good crowd for. Now, let me say a word to you. Uh, several of you have asked me how you're feeling. Uh, I've been going to heart rehabilitation three times a day at Christmas Hospital. I feel rotten. That's good. Just That's rotten. Fine, brother. Now, what happens is when you go to rehab, they start touching nerves and muscles that haven't been touched and worked in years. And if you felt good when you went in, I guarantee you'll feel terrible when you come out. But I want you to pray for the doctors. They've been very patient and the workers at, uh, at Christmas. And we appreciate them and we know what they're trying to do. And we're praying that they'll be able to accomplish their purpose. Folk, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we're so thankful today for this church, and we thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we also thank you for the excitement that can be generated when we start planning and praying and looking forward to the services ahead as well as the services today. We do pray for Brother Evans as he comes to be with us next Sunday, and we are looking with great anticipation to the Word of God that you've placed upon his heart to share with this church next Sunday. And then, of course, we're looking forward to the third Sunday service, and uh, some of our friends we certainly hope will show up, some friends that we've known for many years, and they plan to be here in the service at that time. We, we look forward to that. We're going to have a wonderful time in the services at this church. And Lord, help us to see the importance of being in God's house on that day. Now prepare our hearts for the ministry of thy word. Help us to seek to know the scripture. For to know the scripture is to know life. And to know not the scripture is to know nothing but eternal death. Oh, God, give us living believers today that will seek out the word. For we ask these things in Christ's name. For his sake we pray. Amen. Would you be seated, please?
I do not know what our neighbors do that live in our neighborhood. I don't believe they ever go to church. I mean, it's as quiet as a graveyard on Sunday morning. Nobody's stirring, nobody's moving. Uh, but all of that's going to change real soon when the Lord comes back. I promise you that. Got some great changes in view when that occurs. I want you to turn with me to a passage of Scripture, one of my favorites. I don't know whether they were allowed to say that or not because all the Word of God is my favorite. This is my favorite book. But I want you to turn with me to the 19th chapter of the book of Job. The 19th chapter of the book of Job. And I want to read for your hearing verses 23 through 27. That's Job chapter 19, verses 23 and 20 into 27. Job is writing and speaking from his heart. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, and they will, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another. Though my reins be consumed within me. And I know the Lord will, as always, bless the reading of his word. He has given us a promise. It shall never return unto him void. I want to speak this morning on four words, choosing them as my text. And you will find them in verse number 26. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh, and these are the four words, shall I see God. In other words, what Job is saying is, I will see God. If there is anything in this world that ought to excite and energize a child of God, it's the fact I will see God. How often we make plans to go and visit famous people and sometimes go to unusual expense to buy tickets to see very important people. But my friends, whenever you read these words of Job, it puts everything into a very pale light. I shall see God. I shall see God. I do not believe a man was ever 
brought lower than the man Job. God laid on him bankruptcy. He laid on him boils. And he laid on him bereavement. He lost all of his material goods, not some of them. He lost all of them. He lost all of his health. He lost all of his children. He lost all of his friends. He lost the support of his wife as well as his relatives. But he never lost hope in God. I'm going to see God. I don't care what happens. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't care how great the enemy looks. I don't care about those. I just know one thing. I'm going to see God. I shall see God. In chapter 19, we see Job answering the charges of Bilhad. Now, anybody with a name of Bilhad, you need to run the other way. Because they were constantly after Job. They were accusing him of hypocrisy. And they were talking to him in terms like, if you just straighten up your life, you wouldn't have such a hard time. God's whipping you because you're a hypocrite. And on and on it goes throughout the entire book of Job. And in this discourse of chapter 19, we see Job answering the charges of Bildad by comparing verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 18 with verses 1, 2, and 3 in chapter 19, which is Job's response. Look at that. In chapter number 18, verses 1 through 3, what did Bilhad have to say about Job? Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, How long will it be ere you make an end of words? Now, an interesting New Testament equivalent of that is, why don't you just die? I mean, all you do is run your mouth. You don't say anything. You don't have anything to say. And how long are you going to keep on talking? Whereof are we counted as beasts and reputed vile in your sight? Now, Job had a response to that in chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. Then Job answered and said, How long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times have you reproached me. You're not ashamed that you make yourself strange to me. <coughs> in verses 1 through 5, Job complains over the attitude of his friends. Job, in making those statements about how long will you vex my soul and these ten times you reproach me, and verse 4, be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. If indeed ye will magnify yourselves against me and plead against me my reproach. No, now that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with his net. 
And then Job complains his treatment from the Lord's hands. He says in verse number 7, Behold, I cry out my wrong, but God doesn't hear me. I cry aloud, and there's no judgment. He has fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and he hath set darkness in my paths. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He hath destroyed me on every side, and I'm gone. And my hope hath he removed like a tree. It looks like, Lord, you'd take a little time to talk to me. Job tried time after time to talk to the Lord. But at those particular moments, they were not the better moments to do that. And Job now faces exasperation. Why don't you do something, Lord, to my situation? He continues that thought in verses 13 through 22. Job complains of the treatment coming from his family. Sometimes your worst enemy will be members of your family. Job complains about this beginning with verse 13. He hath put my brethren far from me. Mine acquaintance are verily estranged from me. My kinfolk have failed, and they usually do. And my familiar friends have forgotten me. They that dwell in my house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I called my servant, and he gave me no answer. I treated him with my mouth. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body. Yea, young children despise me. I arose, and they spoke against me, and all my inward friends abhorred me, and they I loved are turned against me. My, my. In verses 23 through 24, Job prays that what he's about to say will be engraved in stone that even those who come years later will be able to read some of the turmoils he had to face. Have you ever been there before and made a statement like this? I wish somebody would listen to me. I just wish one time somebody would listen to me. There are so many hurting people today that would give anything in the world if somebody would just listen to what they have to say. And then in verses 25 through 27, which closes it out, these are the words which Job wishes will remain forever. Number one, Job longed to see God. Church, I wonder if that is the desire of all the desires of my heart. That if I could have anything in the world I wanted today, I would tell you I want to see the Lord. I want to see him. And Job is brought to this through these turmoils he's going through. He longed to see God. In Job 19, verse number 26. What does it say? Again, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh 
shall I see God. I know Job says that I have a living God. I do not deny that. My faith is weak in some areas, but when it comes to the existence of a sovereign God, I know God is sovereign. I know God is boss. I know God is real. And I believe in that God. And I trust in that God. I know I have a living God. There are many little gods and little idols in this world today. They have eyes, but they can't see anything. Ears they have, but they can't hear anything. Hands that work not and feet that walk not. But our God lives. Our God lives. God's never sick. God never resigns. God never quits. God never disappears. Sometimes it seems like he disappears. We're the ones that disappear. I'm never worried about the Lord forsaking me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. It's when I forsake him and I leave him that will start going downhill real fast. And we have a tendency to blame it on him leaving us. He doesn't leave us. Our God lives. We have a God today that lives. Not like Putin. Not like some of these godless shrimp head leaders that lead in our world today. But we have a God who lives. He is a God who is in charge. And he is a God who will never, never fail. On your worst day. God is so good and God is so victorious and is so great. Look at a couple of references with me. And to find them, you have to go to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 45, verses 5 through 6. Isaiah 45, verses 4, 5 through 6. The Bible says this, I am the Lord and there's none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no one else. I'm God. In that same chapter of Isaiah 45, in verse 18, he picks up with these words. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there's none else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place in the earth. I said not under the seed of Jacob, seek me, ye me, in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come. Do you love those two words, assemble yourselves? I mean, go to church. Draw near together, you that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up wood 
of their graven image and pray to a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from the ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there's no God beside me, a just God and a Savior. There's none beside me. Now, we either believe that or we don't believe it. A declaration of faith that God's people have in the sovereignty of God Almighty. I am God. You can believe that. I am God. Job longed for God. In the 46th chapter of Isaiah, verses 1 through 7, Bel, and that's the name of a god, Bel boweth down, Nebo, that's the name of another god, stoopeth. Their idols were upon the beast and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaden or laden. They were a burden to the weary beast. They stooped, they bowed down together, they could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are borne by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. And even to your old age I am he, even to your whore hairs will I carry you. I have made, I will bear, I will carry. Are you listening, church? Even I will carry and will deliver you. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? They lavish gold out of a bag. They weigh silver in the balance. They hire a goldsmith. They make it a god. They fall down, yea, they worship. They shall bear him upon the shoulder and carry him and set him in his place. And he standeth from his place, or shall he not remove? Yea, one shall cry unto him, yet can he not answer nor save him out of it. Do we, have we degenerated so much that we believe that God can't save us out of all of our troubles? Now, I've never seen anything any worse than what we're facing today. But, dear friend, that's not a job for God Almighty. The Lord doesn't have to do a thing. All he has to do is just blink. All he has to do is just make a decision. All he has to do is to act sovereignly. God's in control of this thing. Job longed to see God in verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. There's nobody else. I'm God, and nobody like him. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Another way to say that last statement is this. I'm going to do what I please. Now, you can't do that. You can put a foot forth and try to do it, but you're going to fail somewhere else. There are a lot of things you can't do that you'd like to do. But, my dear friends, there's nothing that God would like to do that he cannot do. He has all power. Job longed 
to see God. I know he will one day stand on this earth. Now listen to that statement again. Job is making the statement, but you find it in Zechariah chapter 14. I know that this God we're talking about this morning shall stand on this earth. In Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Dan Kozart, do you believe that? He's coming again. He's going to return. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. I will gather all nations. How many is he going to gather? All of them. I'll gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought against them in the day of battle. Now, Mr. Gill said he's probably referring to the battle that took place with Pharaoh at the Red Sea. Well, he took care of that crowd pretty easy, didn't he? He killed all of the, Egypt, the Egyptian enemies of the people. And his feet, this is good. Whenever your Bible talks about feet, it's talking about feet. In case you're, you, you know, some people are so smart, they're dumb. People who read the word of God and little words like that say, well, now he's really not talking about feet. Well, who in the world are you that you can correct God Almighty and even about his feet? But the scripture says his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Do you know where the Mount of Olives is? It's over in the Holy Land. It's over in Israel. People go by and they visit from foreign countries to see this. It's a monumental thing to look at. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there'll be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it's going to remove toward the south. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel, yea, before the earth earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. That has not happened yet. That does not mean it's going to happen. It means it must happen because God said that it would happen. I know that one day the Lord will stand on this earth. Stand on this earth. I know one day that my body is headed for the grave. I know that. You don't need to tell me. I don't need the smart doctors in Tyler, Texas to tell me what's wrong with me. I'm wearing out. And so are you. And it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. But I know, though my body be headed for the grave, 
in Hebrews 9.27. I know I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. I know I will see God in my resurrected body. I have a resurrected body coming along. I, I like that thought. <clears throat> I really do. Do you? In John's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. The Bible says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which... Listen, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. I know I will see God in my resurrected body. I don't mean to be careless, nor do I mean to be hurtful when I make this statement, but I believe it, the grave is the answer to the cremation. Where there is a cremation, there is no resurrected body. But where there is a body burial, there is a resurrection of the body. Now, you want to fight about it? Be fine with me. We can just gather out here in the hall and have at it at the church if you want to. I had a few things to say about that. One thing is we're going to have to answer to God and apologize to God for taking plain verses of Scripture and butchering them. That they don't really mean that. But we won't go there this morning because you're real sweet people. Okay? Unbelieving Israel will see God. Unbelieving Israel there are so many who have claimed the religion of Israel, they'll never see, they don't believe, and they believe that Christ was a figment of one's imagination. Unbelieving Israel will see God. Is the Bible true there? Does it substantiate that? Back in Zechariah chapter number 12, Zechariah 12, verse number 10, what does it say? Zechariah 12 Verse number 10, the Lord says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his own firstborn. Unbelieving Israel will see the Lord in chapter 13 of Zechariah, verse number 6. The Bible says, And one of these shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer these with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And he's speaking of his friends, Israel. Israel. I know, I know that one day I shall stand, he shall stand on this earth. I know that one day my body's headed for the grave. I know I will see God in my resurrected body. 
and unbelieving Israel will see God. Think for just a moment. All believers will see God. All believers, if a person has been saved by the grace of God, he's going to see God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this, that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's true. That's a fact. What shall we see when we look at him? Well, it's interesting to study the examples of men who saw God. We study from the examples of some men who saw God. Abraham saw God. He saw him as an intimate friend. An intimate friend. In the book of Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 2, Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 2. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. That is, the Lord appeared unto Abraham in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Abraham treated the Lord as a friend. As a matter of fact, he is described in the word of God as the friend of God. The friend of God. There in that 18th chapter of Genesis, verse number 22, it says this. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. The Lord just told Abraham what he was going to do to the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he dismissed the angels, the two angels that came with the Lord, and when he dismissed them, they departed from the Lord. But Abraham wouldn't take so much as one step away from the Lord. He stood right there and got into a discussion with the Lord about how many people down in Sodom would have to be there to know the Lord that you would withdraw. In other words, Abraham saw the Lord as his intimate friend. Moses saw him as his sovereign Lord. You remember Moses said on one occasion, Lord, show me thy glory. And the Lord showed Moses his glory. What was his glory? God began to march back and forth before Moses. And Moses could see certain aspects of God that no man has ever seen before. As a matter of fact, his face lit up like a neon sign. And the children of Israel couldn't even talk to him without him putting on a veil because he believed in a sovereign God. He saw that God. He saw that God and wanted to see the glory of that Lord. For Brother Isaiah, he saw the Lord as a reigning king. 
Is not that the substance of Isaiah chapter 6? I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. This was in the year that King Uzziah died. But Isaiah didn't see Uzziah. He saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he was a reigning king. Daniel saw him as a holy judge. Daniel describes him as the ancient of days. And then Brother John in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, described him as the glorified Son of God. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 12, I believe it is, yes, 12 through 18. Let me read that for you. Revelation chapter 1. Beginning with 12. And I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the candlesticks of seven, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, he's clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. He's describing the Lord who has just spoken to him on the Isle of Patmos. His head, his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet was like fine brass, as if they had been burned into a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth goeth a two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, oh my, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me and said to me, Fear not, I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen and have the keys of hell and death. John saw it, and John heard him with a naked, visible ear. He was standing in the presence of the very God that Job talks about. One day, I'm going to see God. I'm going to see him. So much for the different people who saw him and what they said relating how they felt when they saw God, whether Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Daniel, or John himself. We will see Christ only and not three different persons. I will not stay there long, but I will mention it because it's something that you should study very carefully in your Bible. When you get to heaven, you're not going to see the Father and you're not going to see the Son and you're not going to see the Holy Spirit. There's only one God, and Jesus Christ is his name. He's God Almighty. Do I dare set that forth? I believe so. Take a moment. It's worth the turn to Acts chapter number 7. In Acts chapter number 7, the... Stephen had been preaching and been rejected and stoned to death. And just as he's being stoned, he makes a marvelous observation here. 
in Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 59. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on his right hand. Now, that's not to tell you that there are two different personalities of authority in heaven. That's to tell you, my dear friends, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Because, read on, he said, Behold, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying what? Lord Jesus that in your Bible? And Stephen, being stoned, made these words. As he was being stoned, he was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus. God is the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus is God. Receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried, with a loud voice and notice he said Lord speaking of Christ lay not this sin to their charge and when he had said this he fell asleep Acts chapter 7 verses 55 through 59 take a moment to turn to Revelation chapter 22 Revelation chapter 22 gets right over toward the very end of the Bible Revelation 22, verses 3 through 5. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Notice that's not two thrones there. It's one single throne, and it's called the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. Whatever happened to their faces? The face of Jesus Christ and the face of God the Father. He didn't see their faces. He saw his face. When you look at the throne in Revelation, my dear friends, you do away with that personage at the right hand of God the Father because he is God Almighty. And we will see him. And when you see him, you see all that heaven has to offer and all that heaven has to give. Marvelous incident. What shall we say when we see him? You ever thought about that? Somebody said, well, oh, I, they're having this big shindig, I believe, over in England. Did you know that? Yeah, they they're having a big shindig over there today. I never saw so much pomp and circumstance in my life. <laughs> Everybody wants to have a front row seat to see who the king is and who the queen is and who the subservants are, who the coronation idiots are, and on and on and on it goes. What shall we say? What will you say when you see him? What will you say? 
12. In Revelation chapter 4, verse number 11, it says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, verses 1 and 2, the 19th chapter of Revelation, verses 1 and 2, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For the true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth in her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. What a statement. What shall we say? Worthy. Worthy. Hallelujah. And then that word that Baptists gave up a long time ago. Amen. Amen. What shall we sing? We'll sing the song of redemption. Chapter 5. Verse number 9, chapter 5 of Revelation, verse number 9, and they sung a new song. Now, Brother Roger, I don't know what the new song is. doesn't tell us what it is, but I, I imagine it's pretty good. They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation will sing the song of redemption. Now let me close by reminding you that the unsaved will not want to see him. There are going to be some people living on this earth that don't want to see the Lord God. They don't want to see him. They don't want to be around him. They don't have anything to do with him. They don't want to be like him. They don't want to see him. In Revelation chapter 6, this will take but a moment. Revelation chapter number 6. In verses 15 and 16. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? There are going to be some people that don't want to see him. However, there will be millions of tribulation saints who will personally welcome him with joy unspeakable and full of glory. When's the last time you read any of the seventh chapter of the book of Revelation? This comes right after the wicked men of the earth don't want to see him and they want the stones and the rocks of the mountains to fall on them and to hide them from the face of him that sits on the throne. And it says in chapter 7 of Revelation, and after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth 
holding the four winds. Now, I don't know if anybody can hold the wind, do you? But the angels can. The four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, and the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the sea, uh, hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we've sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them that were sealed, and they were sealed 144,000. Now these 144,000 are the, is the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, 12,000 to a tribe that will be martyred and put to death by the Antichrist in the terrible great tribulation that's coming on this earth. And if you have any doubt as to who they are, pick up with verse number five. Judah, 12,000. Reuben, 12,000. Gad, 12,000. Asher, 12,000. Nephtalim, 12,000. Manasseh, 12,000. Simeon, 12,000. Levi, 12,000. Issachar, 12,000. Zebulun, 12,000. Joseph, 12,000. And Benjamin, 12,000. And every single one of them wanted to see the Lord. They'd been through the fire. They'd been through the tribulation. They had remained faithful to the Lord and they had laid down their lives in promulgating gating the gospel at, uh, it, during that time of tribulation. You think that's enough? That's 144,000. That's a pretty good congregation. On Sunday morning in the average Baptist church, isn't it? They'll want to hear him. But after this, verse 9, I beheld <laughs> and lo, a great multitude. I mean, there's so many of them that couldn't count them, which no man could number. They come from all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and pomps in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And even got the angels in on it. Look at verse 11. All the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. Say, Amen. Blessing and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the elders answered, saying unto me, Who are these that are arrayed in white robes? Where'd they come from? And I said unto him, Sir, you know. He said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in the temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger 
no more. Neither thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. Why? Because the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them. And feed them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Why? Because you're looking at the Lord. You're seeing the Lord. And it's the most satisfying response you'll ever have on this earth is when we see the Lord. Job said, I'm going to see him. I don't care how bad it gets. I'm going to see him. And dear friends, all of God's people are going to see him when he comes again the second time. And I'm glad we have that promise that as Job could say it with all assurance, I will see God. I can say that today. I'm going to see the Lord. And if you know Christ is your Savior, you're going to see the Lord. And what a day that will be. And it's going to be a wonderful day. Let's stand, please, for prayer. Dear Father in heaven, for this day, we like and we thank you and we love you because you've allowed us to dig a little bit into the scriptures to see what it's going to be a little bit like when you come back and stand on this earth. And all of your people will have the advantage of looking upon you and loving you and being in your presence. And Father, we love you today. We want to serve you today. We want to be faithful to you today. We want to belong to a church that loves you today. And Heavenly Father, we want to do what's right today. Cleanse us of our sins. And oh God, stir up the spirit of revival in our hearts that we'll love you more than ever before. Lead, guide, and direct us throughout this day. And thank you again for meeting with us in this hour. For we ask these things in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Brother Roger, lead us, please. Take a hymn book and turn to 550.